well met, everyone. Welcome to Geek Thyself, a podcast by a nerd for other nerds that love geeking out over random facts and esoteric trivia. My name is Heather, and I'll be your host as we journey into the wondrous land of information. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Geek Thyself. So I wanted to start off by giving you guys the references for last week's episode. I realized after we'd already put it out that I completely spaced giving you guys the references I used, so I apologize for that. So I used a book called The Real Story of Thanksgiving by Pippa Pralin, P-R-A-L-E-N. It's available for sale on Amazon for anyone who's interested in picking it up. And there's also several other books that talk about the same thing. This just happened to be the one I went with. For this week's episode, as you probably already saw from the title, I'm going to be talking about cryptocurrency, more often referred to by a lot of people as Bitcoin, although Bitcoin is actually just one of many cryptocurrencies. For this week's episode, I used a book called Cryptocurrency, The Complete Beginner's Guide to Investing and Trading in Cryptocurrencies by John James. I have to be honest, I personally have absolutely no plans to do any investing or trading in cryptocurrencies. Uh, My brain doesn't like to work in the financial aspects of things, like economics was not my best subject by any means. So for me, something like this is definitely not something I plan to get into. But I know that it's something a lot of people have interest in, even if they're like me and don't plan to invest in it at all, because it's something that is sort of a buzzword nowadays, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, people know it exists, but not a lot of people, myself included, before this episode, knew a lot about exactly what it was or how it worked. So this episode is going to be a little bit about what exactly is cryptocurrency, but also a little bit of, if you're interested in investing, here's information for you to look at. So obviously the first place to start with is, what is a cryptocurrency? A lot of people, like I said, have heard the word Bitcoin, or they know kind of what it is, but even I wasn't sure until I started this episode exactly what the definition of a cryptocurrency was. So according to the author of the book I used, A cryptocurrency is a form of digital currency that is created, bought, sold, traded, and used entirely in the digital realm. There's no physical money. There's no physical item behind the value of the money. So like the U.S. has a gold standard. In theory, the money is based off of how much gold is stored somewhere, that kind of thing. And there's nothing like that for cryptocurrency. It's all digital. According to Google, the definition of cryptocurrency is a digital currency in which encryption techniques are used to regulate the generation of units of currency and verify the transfer of funds operating independently of a central bank, which all of that information from the internet definition does match up with some of the other factors that were in the book defining cryptocurrency. So cryptocurrency, it's entirely digital. There's no cash dollar bills. There's no credit cards or anything like that. There's no coins. It's just all digital information. The easiest analogy and one that I thought was a really good one from the book is that 
the digital currency, it's similar to when you deposit funds into your bank account. Those funds, the, the check, the cash, whatever it was that you had, you no longer see and you no longer physically have in your hand. But you still have access to the digital version, which is the money that exists through your debit card or whatever on your bank account. So even though you don't physically have the money anymore, there is still value to what you put into it. And that's sort of how cryptocurrency works. Another factor with cryptocurrency is that because there's no physical form of it, it's a lot harder to trace. So that's one of the things that people like about it for those that are actually using it and are doing things with it. Another thing that was really interesting to find out when I started doing my research is that even though most of us think of cryptocurrency as something that's really new and hasn't been around for very long, the truth is that it was sort of in development and an idea for quite a few years. As far back as the 1970s, people were sort of investigating ways to make digital currency a thing. But it wasn't until 2009 when Bitcoin came out that there was actually one that had some success. One of those reasons that's attributed specifically to Bitcoin is that it was the first one that didn't have a centralized location. All of the previous ones had been based off of a central server. So there was one server that had all the information on it for the digital currency. Bitcoin did something called a decentralized server. So what they did is that instead of having one server with all the information, there's multiple servers in multiple locations, all of which had the information. This achieved a couple of things, but one of the biggest ones is that it makes it much, much, much harder for anyone to hack. It's not impossible to hack, but it's extremely hard because you can't just hack a single server and get all the information you need. You have to hack every single one. It also means that people can't hack into the system and give themselves fake digital money. They can't hack into the system and say, increase their bank account by $10,000 because it's not a single server, it's multiple. So they would have to hack into every single one in order to change their information to reflect a price increase in their account. So there's a lot of things for it that make it advantageous depending on what you want to do with it. Like I said, for me personally, I have no interest in it and the kind of things I do on a day-to-day -day basis and the kind of transactions I do on a day-to-day -day basis, I don't need this kind of digital currency. But there are people out there, various areas of work, who might want their money to be more clandestine and less trackable and all that kind of stuff. But I'll get into that in a second. So like I was saying, Bitcoin is really the first big successful cryptocurrency that existed. The creator uses an alias Satoshi Nakamoto. And actually, pieces of a Bitcoin are referred to as Satoshis. One Satoshi is equal to some ridiculously small amount of a Bitcoin. It's like 0.000001 or something like that. It's really tiny. So that's how the bit one Bitcoin can be worth so much money. Right now, I actually looked online at some data. And depending on which site you're using, it's going to vary a little. But the one I checked is called Coinbase, which is an investment site. 
It's one that was mentioned in the book, so I went and looked at it to find out more information there. On their site, one single Bitcoin is worth a little over $3,000. So one Satoshi would probably be like 30 cents. So it's not it's not a lot, but it, it's there. It exists, and there's ways you can buy smaller amounts if you don't want to buy a $3,000 Bitcoin. One of the things about the cryptocurrency and specifically Bitcoin that I mentioned is that it's a decentralized server. They're made with complex computer algorithms and then the algorithms and the data that equates to the coin or the cryptocurrency unit can be traded back and forth between the owners and whoever they're buying and per and selling things with. And it's a very peer-to-peer -peer situation. So like I'm giving my money directly to someone else as opposed to having to go through a bank. So there's no transaction fees. Another thing, because it's going through a peer-to-peer -peer situation as opposed to through a bank or something like that, is there's usually no taxes and things like that. I do know that the U.S. has decided to count cryptocurrency income as taxable income. So if you're in the U.S. using cryptocurrencies, it's not a way to get a free tax break because they're still going to tax you on it. And there's ways, not necessarily easy ways, but there are technically easy ways for them to track how much money you have there. It's a thing. So if, if you're trying to do it for anything like that, it's obviously not ideal. But there are different options in terms of storage, and there's different options in terms of the coins themselves. Bitcoin is the one most people know of, but there's multiple other types of cryptocurrency. And along with the fact that it's decentralized and harder to hack because of that, also cryptocurrency, and this is from the book, so I'm quoting, consists of limited entries in a database that cannot be changed without specific conditions being fulfilled. So essentially, A plus B has to happen in order for C to occur. So if C is changing your bank account uh, value, so like taking money out or putting money in, a couple of steps have to happen in order for it to trigger a change. So it's not something that can easily be transferred without everyone agreeing to it. One downside, though, is that those transactions are non-refundable. So for anyone who might change their mind about a purchase or something like that, you're kind of up the creek on that one. You're stuck with it once you do the transaction and transfer over the cryptocurrency. A real-world example of the conditions having to be met in order to create a change in the database would be, I mentioned earlier, depositing money in your account. So if you deposit money into your bank account, you no longer have the physical cash or the physical check. But you do have your debit card and you do have your PIN. So in order for anyone to take money out of your bank account, they have to have the card number and they have to have your PIN. Or in theory, it's just you taking the money out. So those are two conditions that have to be met in order to take money out of the account. Once it happens, though, the database that is your bank account and the bank's servers and whatever updates their information and the entry shows that you have then removed money from your account. So that is sort of a real-world analogy uh, for anyone who wants something like that to help process the information. 
So essentially, anytime you invest in or are paid in cryptocurrency, your database balance changes. So it's just like when you make a deposit or a withdrawal from your bank account, your value in your account changes to reflect whatever purchases and changes you've done to it. One of the things that's interesting about cryptocurrency also for someone like me who really isn't that interested in getting into it is why is everyone so excited about it? What's the big deal? What's the big hype? Why did people go crazy for it? So there's a couple of different things going on there, which I'm going to get into. But specifically, there are five features which are very different from traditional money. So one of the first ones is one I've actually mentioned already in this episode, which is that a transaction with the cryptocurrency is irreversible. You can't take it back. Once it's done, it's done and the money's gone. This is particularly a big thing for retailers because there are people out there who will purchase something and receive the item and then say they never got it or and demand a refund or they'll say they never made the purchase and that someone stole their card information and canceled the card. It's not necessarily a lot of people, but there are companies that have to deal with this from scammers who do this and cancel their payments and things like that. The problem is that then that costs them a lot of money, but also the banks don't really have a way for the retailers to get their money back or do anything about it. Basically, if the bank is serving the people, the retailers don't have anyone then to go after for the money. They're just out the money. Most big companies are going to have some sort of a cushion built into their system to allow for this loss of profit. But it's still a problem for small retailers, too. So that's one reason that some people like the irreversible factor of the digital cryptocurrency. Now, the downside, of course, is if you get scammed, you're stuck. There's no one to go to. You can't get your money back. It's just gone. Another thing that a lot of people like about it is that it's pseudonymous. Pseudonymous? I can't say this word. Pseudonymous. So basically... It's not quite anonymous. You have to have some sort of handle, but it's like a screen name or an internet handle in a chat room. It's not a name that's actually your name. Now, in order to sign up with a lot of sites where you can trade or use Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, you may have to provide some personal data. You may not. It depends on which one you're going to go into. Coinbase, when I was looking at their setup to find out more information, If I signed up with their site, then I have to give them like my name and address and stuff like that because they have to establish that I am a physical person to trade Bitcoin back and forth. But there are probably sites out there where you don't have to give them any of that information. So all of your transactions and your accounts can't be linked directly to your identity to a large extent. And what this means is that no one can connect those transactions to you. So it means that you can essentially do all this purchasing and selling in a more or less anonymous fashion. So no one's going to know it's you buying or selling and you get to just be an anonymous person online. The other factor, well, there's three more actually, but the next one is that it's fast and it's global. So cryptocurrency is very fast. There's no sort of processing it has to go through with a bank or anything like that. So the transfer is pretty much immediate. It's also global because 
cryptocurrency doesn't have a denomination that's associated with a country. So your money doesn't have to be converted from US dollars to pounds. It doesn't have to be converted into lira or euros or yen or anything like that. It's just all digital. It's all the same. So it transfers very, very quickly and can be used anywhere in the world that it's accepted or anywhere in the world that a buyer or seller wants to base themselves. The fourth feature that makes it different from traditional money is that it's extremely secure. Because it's decentralized, there's, like I said earlier, not one spot that people have to hack. There's multiple in order to access your information or affect your money in any way. Another thing is that because it's based on cryptography to even create them in the first place, they're sort of encrypted all on their own already, which helps a little bit. So they're very hard to hack, which makes them secure. Also, each cryptocurrency is built with a personal key that is keyed specifically to the owner of that cryptocurrency. So you have a personal key that you can use to basically super securely protect your money. And they're extremely secure. They can't really hack them. A lot of people don't even put it anywhere on their computer, so it can't be hacked. So it's not impossible to hack, but it's a lot harder than a bank account. The last feature that really, really makes it different from a traditional currency is that it's permissionless. You don't have to ask anyone, whether it's a bank or the government, to allow you to transfer money from one spot to another. You can just do it. What this also means is that the government can't freeze your accounts or anything like that. There is no one who can stop you from getting into your money, your cryptocurrency, as long as you have your personal key and information that you need in order to log in and get it. So essentially, it's money that no one can touch except you unless you trade it or buy it or sell it or whatever to someone else. So that makes it permissionless. It's always yours no matter what. No one can stop it. Okay, so I've gone through a lot of the different bits and pieces of what exactly a cryptocurrency is. Short version is it's essentially digital money, and there are pros and cons to it just like anything else. What I'm going to do now is go into the break in the episode, and when I come back, I'm going to talk to you about some different kinds of cryptocurrencies, as well as a little bit of information on where to look if you think you might want to do some investing with it. Like I said, that's not for me, but in case anyone listening has interest in that, I do want to provide you with those sources. So I'll be back after the break. Okay, everyone, so welcome to the mid-roll. So first things off, like always, I want to talk about World Anvil. They're the sponsor of many, many shows here at Nerdsmith, and they're a, it's a fantastic website where you can world build and create your world, whether it be for a book or for your D&D campaign or anything like that. It's a fantastic resource. So that's worldanvil.com, and I definitely recommend you go check them out. The second thing I want to talk about is even though Nerds Giving is over, you can still donate to the Trevor Project through the Nerdsmith website. If you go to nerdsmith.org, you can go to the upper right-hand corner of the screen and you'll see a little rainbow-colored heart. If you click there, you can find out more information about how you can continue to support the Trevor Project even though Nerds Giving has ended. 
And speaking of support, the last thing I want to talk about in this little mid-episode break is please don't forget that if you go to nerdsmith.org slash donate, you can find out more information about how you can directly support my show or other shows here at the network. You can subscribe as a minion, sidekick, or champion, and there's different subscriber benefits for each different level, which are broken down on the page. You also get access to our bonus content, which every show puts out. There's different episodes or little tidbits that you have access to. They're not required listening for your enjoyment of a particular podcast or show, but they're little extras that we put together just for you guys. So that's nerdsmith.org donate. Also, any sort of like, review, or anything like that on iTunes or any other podcasting platform definitely helps us as well. And with that, let's get back into this week's episode. Okay, so what I want to talk about now are some of the different kinds of cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin is obviously the one most people have heard of, and it started back in 2009. Some of the benefits to that one is that it is the most well-known, so it's somewhat more stable than some of the other ones. And it's referred to sometimes as being digital gold because of how much it's worth at the moment. The coins have gotten up to, according to Coinbase, which again, like I said, I checked, almost like $18,000 per coin. So they're worth actually quite a bit of money still. They're at $3,000-something a coin. Their value began at $0, and now they're up to a lot more than that. The other one that's really popular is called Ethereum. Ethereum, which is E-T-H-E-R-E-U-M, started in 2015. And one of the things that's nice about that one is that it allows for contracts. So let's say that you have a deal going with someone where they have XYZ item that you're going to buy from them for a certain amount of money. Well, you can write into the contract that, for instance, you your money won't be sent to them until you get a tracking code that actually lines up with like UPS or FedEx or something, you know, anything like that. So basically your money doesn't get released until certain conditions are met. And so what that means is that you can allow for a lower incidence of things like scammers. And that's actually built into the system that is Ethereum as opposed to being some sort of transactional thing between you and whoever you're purchasing from. The another thing about the Ethereum is that there's also different coins that go with that system and each coin is worth a different value. So in theory, you could buy a few different types of coins from Ethereum and have each one be worth a different value, which strictly for investment purposes would diversify your portfolio. Another one is called Litecoin, L-I-T-E coin. It's considered sort of digital silver. It came out as sort of the second big major player after Bitcoin. And it's similar to Bitcoin, but it sometimes gets referred to as Bitcoin 2.0. It's a little faster. There's more tokens. So kind of like Ethereum, there's multiple different token types. And there's also new algorithms and things that were developed for it. So it's a smaller denomination, smaller amount of money per coin. And it makes it a little more available and easier to trade with than Bitcoin sometimes. There's also kinds of coins that are still cryptocurrency, but they don't work off quite the same system as Bitcoin. An example of this is something called Monero. Monero 
is a different type of program that still acts like a cryptocurrency. So it's still an algorithm. It's based off of something called Cryptonite, crypto and like C-R-Y-P-T-O and the night N-I-G-H-T. So it's a play on words, I'm sure, having to do with Superman Kryptonite. But one of the things is that Bitcoin works with blockchain, meaning every time you make a transaction with it or do anything with it, that data gets added to the chain and just kind of stores on to the digital tracking of the Bitcoin you're using. Whereas Monero cuts through that and makes transactions a little faster sometimes. It also does, though, mean that there's not as much tracking on the Bitcoin. So it's harder to trace back to a source if you're trying to do that. In terms of investments, which again, that's what the book I used was based off of. So if that's not what you're interested in for cryptocurrency, then most likely I covered most of your questions in the beginning, I hope. If not, you can always write in, it's geek thyself at nerdsmith.org if you want to send in any questions or comments or anything like that. If you have questions, just let me know. But the investment-wise, Bitcoin is, like I said, somewhat the most stable, but it's also one of the most expensive. Like I said, the coin is almost $3,000 plus right now just for a single coin. Ethereum is also fairly well-received, but it is also pretty expensive. The Litecoin and Monero definitely cost less money per coin. Litecoin is probably good for people who just want to like poke around at it and figure out if they have any interest in this whatsoever. Monero doesn't really, isn't really well received. The benefit to that one would just be that if that particular type of cryptocurrency starts to take off, Monero is the most stable out of all of them. So you'd be getting in on like the ground floor of investments type of situation. So there's a lot of different options and making the choice. The author of the book I used felt that either Bitcoin or Ethereum were your best choices if you're actually going to invest in it. One thing you can also do, and I recommend doing this if you have interest, is your own research. Look into it more. Figure out what interest you have in it. Are you going to buy and trade it? Or are you just going to dabble in it because you're curious? You know, what are you going to do? The website that's mentioned in the book is called Coinbase, and it's spelled exactly how you would expect it to be. If you Google Coinbase, it pops right up. But the nice thing about this site is it also has some more information it can give you, and it gives you little tips and things about if you want to invest, here's how to do it. You have to sign up if you're going to use it, but they do specifically tell you to give them sort of a handle or a, or a name to use for the site. You can go in and adjust all your account information and all that kind of stuff. So there's ways to look up the information without having to necessarily commit. Like I said, I checked out the Coinbase website just to look at it and figure out more information. And they've got information on what the current value of different types of cryptocurrency is. So if that's something you want to look at, you can look at it. You can also view the trend. So they show you it's an hour, a 24-hour period, a week, a month, a year, and then you can also look at the history of the coin. So that's kind of cool because you can look at what the trend has been in terms of the value of those coins. A lot of them, when I looked at it, spiked way back when Bitcoin first came on the mar uh, came on the market as a big thing a few years ago. 
and have started to decline since then. Like I said, the highest, according to that site, that Bitcoin got up to was about 18000 per coin, and now it's down to 3000 and it's been a steady decrease since it spiked. So that's one thing to consider if you have any interest in investing in this at all, is look at those trends and figure out if you actually think it's a good idea, because it might not be. It's hard to say. Another thing that's interesting about cryptocurrency and something that the book went into in more detail than I'm going to is the idea of a hot wallet versus a cold wallet. So a hot wallet is something like what Coinbase offers you, where you've got this website-based wallet, basically, that you have coins in that you can play with and trade back and forth. And it's digital, and it's also easier for people to hack into because you have to have somewhere you're storing it online. So it's generally recommended that if you're going to have that kind of a wallet, you don't keep a lot in there and you mostly use it for transactions that you're actively doing. The other type of wallet was called a cold wallet. And a cold wallet was essentially a way to download the data. So the actual information on your bank account, basically, on your crypto account. And that crypto account information would also come with a personal key that only you have access to. And there are some people who even literally just print out a piece of paper. It's a piece of paper that has your information on it, that has all the storage data that you need and your personal key for your cryptocurrency. Now, obviously, there's pluses and minuses to storing it that way. But because cryptocurrency is entirely digital, if you don't store it offline somehow, there's a chance of people managing to find it stored on your computer or something like that. So essentially, the cold wallet idea was recommended more for if you have large amounts of cryptocurrency and you don't want to risk anything happening to them. Again, for me, not so much a factor, but for anyone who's interested in doing more research into cryptocurrency, that's a good idea to look into as well, especially if you think you might actually want to do any large trading in it, because having the cold wallet to really make sure no one can hack into your computer or anything and get your information sounds like a good idea. So... I'm going to call that good for this episode. Uh, it's a lot of information, and I know the end was a lot about different investment stuff. So if that's not what your interest was in cryptocurrency, then I hope I answered your question in the first half. Again, basics, basics. Cryptocurrency is a digital currency that can be traded very quickly and freely with no government regulation and no easy way to hack it. It can be hacked, it's just not easy. So there's pluses and minuses. In terms of investment, the value of the different cryptocurrencies that are most popular has definitely showed a decline according to the information I was able to find. So it's not necessarily a safe investment, but if you know what you're doing investment-wise and want to look into it, I recommend Coinbase.com as a place to start. There's other websites as well. Some of the other websites that the book mentioned were Kraken, Bittrex, B-I-T-T-R-E-X, Binance, so like finance but with a B instead. And then also another one that it mentioned was Poloniex, so P-O-L-O-N-I-E-X. All of those are also sites like Coinbase where you can go and find out more information about trading the different types of cryptocurrencies. So 
with that, I'm going to call this good and I will talk to you guys next week. Please remember to check out all the other wonderful shows and productions that we have at nerdsmith.org. You can submit questions or topic suggestions to me on Twitter at amethyst underscore magic with a CK. Or you can email me at geekthyself at nerdsmith.org. I'll be back next week with a new and interesting topic. Until then, don't forget to geek thyself. venture through the looking glass and into fairy, you know better than to expect a normal life upon your return home. Futures are changed and marked indelibly by the strange magics of that land and adhere themselves to your fate. Now the veil between the worlds is thinner than ever and only one who has journeyed to fairy and back again can help those unaware of the dangers that lurk around every corner. That someone is Alison Underland. At nerdsmith.org or wherever you download your podcasts.